Thank you, Dan. Thank you, choir and musicians, for leading us so well this morning in beautiful worship. I'm grateful to get to speak to you this morning. Thankful that you're here. Are you thankful for your freedom today? I know I am. Well, I'm curious if you're like me. I've got a question for you. Have you ever tried to attach something to something else and it just didn't work? Have you had this happen? I I bet you have. I bet you've had the same three-pronged power cord dilemma that I have. You get everything ready, everything set, you have it plugged in, you carry it across the room to your other plug, and the sad realization washes across you. This is a union that was never meant to be. You have a three-pronged cord with a two-pronged extension. And then you remember, all your three-pronged extension cords are already dedicated to meaningful purposes. You're out of luck. You can't attach them. You've been in the hardware store and come out like I recently did, and I saw a subcompact car piled with stuff from the store on top of it. Pieces of wood attached, hanging off the car, covering the entire car, going over the hood in the trunk, over the outside, the car was weighed down, and I thought, that's not supposed to be there. That's not supposed to be attached. I can't imagine the engineer drawing things up, okay, here's where we'll have the hood, and over here will be the trunk, and here's the roof. Obviously, this is where the lumber and cinder blocks goes, and... (laughs) No, it's not supposed to be there. A couple years back, I went to China, saw a similar scene where you would see an entire family on a scooter. You would see a mom there and a dad possibly in the back, and if you tilted your head just right, you might see a few children sandwiched in between them. And you think, that's not supposed to be that way. Have you noticed burger establishments are pushing the limits of acceptable toppings for your hamburger now? They're adding attachments that aren't supposed to be there. Gone are the days of just lettuce and tomato. Now you can order anything on your burger. Fried eggs, commonplace. Coleslaw, any type of peppers or olives you can put on your burger. I recently saw a burger menu and peanut butter was there. Really? Years ago, we started with barbecue It was the gateway condiment. Now look where it's gotten us, folks. Oh, it's a slippery slope. See, some things, they're just not meant to go together. Not meant to have certain things attached to them. Your attachments can make things go all wrong. When we add to things, it can ruin everything. This can play out in more serious ways in our lives, like when we add to the gospel. When we attach something to the gospel that's not meant to be there. In the book of Galatians, Paul is saying just that. In fact, he spends much of the book responding to these unnecessary additions, attachments to the gospel. 
There was considerable surplus of false teaching at the time. One group in particular, the Judaizers, were saying for salvation, the law had to be added back in, in particular, the idea of circumcision. They were trying to add to the gospel, attached to it. The Galatians were being tripped up. They were falling into this mire of going back to the law, and ultimately, they were forfeiting their freedom Christ had afforded them. To the gospel needs no attachment. It needs no addition. And I would agree with the apostle this morning when you and I add to the gospel, when we attach our own agenda, we then forfeit the freedom that Christ came to afford us. This morning, the title of my sermon is Stand Firm in Freedom. Stand Firm in Freedom. In these next moments, I believe if you'll give your attention and your heart to God's word, I believe that it has transformational power for our lives. Would you look at Galatians chapter five with me? Galatians 5.1, will you pay special attention to what Paul is saying? It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Stand firm in freedom. There's several warnings that Paul gives us and he gives us encouragement too. I wanna to do the same for you this morning. The first thing I want you to see the first thing that Paul would say is, don't turn from release to restraint. Don't turn from release to restraint. Paul had already made several comparisons in the book of Galatians, calling the law to be like a bondservant to us, to be like a schoolmaster or a tutor that keeps us in line. There's also an account of Peter and Acts where the same imagery is used. The image of a yoke is not difficult to understand. It represents slavery, service, someone controlling your life. When God delivered Israel from Egypt, it was described as the breaking of the bondage of a yoke. The farmer uses a yoke, as you understand, to corral the animals, to control them, to guide his oxen because they would not willingly serve him if they were free. The Judaizers, they didn't want to produce lives that produced Christ-like character. They wanted to see lives that looked like theirs. You can be sure that liberty says, I want you to look like Jesus, and legalism says, I want you to look like me. The book of Matthew says the yoke of religion is hard and the burden is heavy, but Christ's yoke is easy. His burden is light. That word easy meaning kind, gracious. The yoke of Christ frees us to fulfill his will while the yoke of the law enslaves us. In our freedom, we can forget what it is to be fettered. I remember Tom Ferran, our business administrator and men's minister, inviting some of our staff along with some of our uh, folks from church to go to a revival at the local prison. I remember so much about it. I remember going 
through those doors and all the security that you have to encounter and go through. It's a very long process to get inside. I remember how kind and welcoming the inmates were. In fact, they would say, be sure you tell your family that we're thankful that they allowed you to come and be a part of this meeting. I remember our pastor, Dr. Batson, preached a phenomenal gospel message that night. But I think the thing that will forever be etched in my mind and in my memory was when we sang. If I'm honest, I don't know that I've ever heard singing just like that before or after. The passion that was there, the volume. I thought the walls were shaking. It was incredible. In those moments, I was considering this, how loud they're singing and why they're singing this way. And I remember coming to the line, to the phrase and the song that we were singing, my chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior has ransomed me. It was powerful. It was emotional. As I look back on that experience, I think many of those men understood the beauty of liberty we share in Christ because they understood the hardship of captivity. Have we forgotten the burden of bondage? What it is to have to measure up, to toil for acceptance, to try to be good enough, I think even unknowingly, we can go back to the chains. We can go back to the yoke of bondage that is living up to expectations, to the law, to legalism, and put them back on and live that way. Friends, salvation doesn't require your work, your rituals, your sacrifice. It was Jesus, his sacrifice, his death on the cross, his resurrection that led to our liberty and friends. Jesus is enough. Will you say with me this morning, Jesus is enough? You ready? Jesus is enough. Paul would say, don't turn from release to restraint. Christ is enough. These false teachers wanted to add to the gospel. Paul says, don't turn from release to restraint. He also says, don't turn from deliverance to debt. Look at verses three and four with me. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You've been severed from Christ. You are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. Don't turn from deliverance to debt. See, in addition to the fact that turning to the law spoils grace, it also creates an entirely new obligation, a new debt where a person who is seeking to be justified by the law is obligated to obey the whole law then. If a person puts them under that just for justification, he or she is then a debtor to the entire code with its requirements and its curse. Several places Paul describes this. He says, Christ will be no benefit to you. You will be fallen 
from grace obligated to keep all of the law. I remember years ago, there was a a humorous commercial that came out, and there was a a gentleman who looked so happy, and on the outside, his life looked so perfect. They showed him in front of his beautiful, giant mansion of his house. Uh, They took around to the back of the house, and they showed you his beautiful, crystal, massive pool. They took you to the inside of his house, and there was his beautiful, perfect family. Later, he's driving a brand new car. He says, you wanna know how I got it all? You wanna know how I did it? Well, I'm up to my eyeballs in debt. Then he says, as he's driving away in his new lawnmower, someone please help me. It's interesting, things can look so good on the outside, but when we bear the burden of debt, so difficult, so cumbersome. It is true when we carry the debt that comes from legalism, from the law, seeking to be enough, serving the attachment, the additions to the gospel, then that debt owns part of us. Why would we go back to the debt that's been paid for, go back and live in the despair of debt? Why would we bear that burden again? See, the truth is the believer who chooses legalism robs himself of spiritual liberty and spiritual wealth. He deliberately puts himself into bondage and bankruptcy. See, your debt, my debt, It was paid for on the cross, once and for all. Why would we go back to living that way, having to go through the list of demands? Why would we pick up the debt that's been paid for? Paul told the Galatians, don't turn from release to restraint. Don't trade deliverance for debt. He then offers a third warning. Don't turn independence to hindrance. Don't turn independence to hindrance. Look at verses seven and eight. You were running so well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Don't turn from independence to hindrance. You were running so well in the race of life, but something has hindered you. You've been stalled, diverted, detoured, slowed. You've turned from independence to hindrance, Paul would say. If you've ever run a race, especially a long distance race, you understand that you don't wanna run with restriction. You don't wanna have to carry any extra burdens. If somebody is running to win, they're not asking to carry your stuff. In reality, they're getting rid of all the things that hold them back, all the things that restrict them, all the things that slow them down, all the things that hinder them. They put them away so that they can run the race in freedom. Paul is saying you are willingly choosing a hindrance, blocking your way, slowing you down, tiring you out. Don't turn from independence to hindrance. 
Uh, literal translation of this passage would say, you are running well. Who cut in that stopped you from obeying the truth? I read one author this week writing on this passage who explained this well. This is what the Judaizers had done to Galatian believers. They cut in on them, forced them to change direction, to go on a spiritual detour. It was not God who had done this because he had called them to run faithfully in a lane marked grace. See, the cross was so offensive to the legalist, to the Judaizers, because it gave away freely that which they were working so hard to achieve. I wonder what's slowing you down this morning. What is your running restriction? The Galatians, they had turned from independence to hindrance. They chose to attach to the gospel. Paul said, don't turn from release to restraint, deliverance for debt, independence to hindrance. Then Paul leads us into some encouragement. He says, turn liberty into love. Don't turn from release to restraint, deliverance for debt, independence to hindrance. Turn liberty into love. I want you to look at that passage again. Let's look at verses 13 and 14 together. For you were called to freedom, brethren, Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, Paul's essentially given us three ways to live in this. He's talked about the law and everything that goes along with it. Now he talks about a license, that we would have a license to sin because we've been afforded this way. He would warn against it both here and also in Romans that God forbid, though we've experienced grace, uh, grace that we would continue in sin. Now he's offering another way beyond law and a license, he's saying, love. Turn liberty into love. Let liberty lead you to love. In fact, Paul is saying all these things, the the way of legalism, the way of the law, these aren't the ways that you were meant to live. In fact, the, the banner over your life, the calling that you've been called to is that you would let liberty lead you to love. book of Philippians, Paul would also say, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look on your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Turn your liberty to love. Christians are truly free in Christ. I love what Martin Luther said so well. A Christian man is the most free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all, 
subject to all. This week we had our in-town mission trip and we hosted various vacation Bible schools and parks around the city. We also went and renovated some apartments for the downtown women's center. This was a part of our four downtown churches ministry. And these apartments, these were a part of the downtown women's center and they would one day house women and children that had been battling issues like addiction, homelessness, and other hardships. We actually ended up doing some quite extensive work over there. In fact, um, myself and our senior adult minister, Corky Holland, um, just shortly after arriving, were handed like real tools, like hammers and stuff and uh, electric saws. Got to be honest with you, it's a dangerous thing to put power tools in the hands of ministers. <laughs> we still have all our fingers, thankfully. There was a lot of people there. There was a lot of work going on. There was painting, there was tearing up old carpet, there was rebuilding floors, there was installing fans and fixtures. It was, it was actually very noisy. But I couldn't help in the midst of all the noise and all the clamor, there was a woman humming. She was smiling, sweeping, seemingly just in her own world. I went back to working and even in the midst of all this buzz of activity, my ears were drawn back to the song she kept humming. Finally, my memory matched the melody. It was his eye is on the sparrow. Shortly after listening to this for a while, I began to sing along in my head. And I remembered those words. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I sing because I'm free. What would it be that would motivate people to take off for a woman like this to smile, spend her days cleaning up constructing for someone else because it was a heart that recognized that she had been freed. That her debt had been paid. That the hindrance, it had been moved away. And now she was living and breathing in freedom. When we as believers recognize the beauty and the simplicity of the true gospel that Jesus has made us free, it, it moves us to not only sing his praise, but also to serve his kingdom. I couldn't help but imagine this week a mom having endured hardship, faced so much difficulty in her life, walking through the door to that renovated apartment that was now beautiful and new and restored. I pictured and heard the footsteps of children running up those stairs and saying, this bedroom, this one, this one's gonna be mine. 
beautiful thing when God's people recognize what Christ has delivered them from, the freedom that he's afforded them, and they let their liberty lead them to love. There she stood, humming, sweeping, and then saws, paintbrushes, scrapers, screwdrivers, they joined into a sweet symphony to our Savior. Friends, let your liberty lead you to love. See, the law would say, I've, I've got to. Liberty says, I get to. The law gives us a life of enduring. Liberty gives us a life of excitement. Law says it's about religion. Liberty says it's about relationship. Law frustrates us while liberty fulfills us. Ultimately, living in legalism, living in the law is about vanity and liberty is about victory. See, our tendency is sometimes to pick back up those chains, to try to measure up, to try to do enough, to try to be shiny enough, good enough to be chosen. It's not about our agenda that we would attach to the gospel or someone else's. It truly is by grace that we've been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. Friends, this morning, stand firm, proudly in the freedom that Christ has given you. He died to give it to you. And don't turn release into restraint, deliverance to debt, independence to hindrance. Rather, let your liberty turn into love. Will you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, God, we recognize, God, we recognize the bondage of the law, the bondage of our sin. We recognize the bondage of debt. God, we're so grateful for the death of your son. We're so grateful for all that was accomplished on the cross. Lord, though many of us have received your healing grace, though many of us have been freed, Lord, oftentimes we don't live like it. Lord, we wanna live in freedom. We wanna stand firm in freedom. God, help us to live in liberty in such a way that it would lead us to love. Lord, I ask and I pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus, amen.